When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the big talking points in football. I'm Ian McGarry and joining me as always is the guru, Mr Duncan Castles. Today we have exclusive news and insight and information on Tottenham Hotspur, Manchester United, Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund, Paris Saint-Germain, as well as um, an interesting transfer proposition for this summer regarding a player moving up a notch in terms of his career. Duncan, we're going to start with Manchester United, who have been um, certainly trumpeting the fact that uh, they have managed to persuade Edison Cavani to sign a new one-year contract extension. A uh, player has scored 15 goals and, in fact, eight in his last nine games and uh, has been very impressive. He definitely has the uh, striker's instinct. Uh, it has led to people speculating that United will not uh, look to sign another striker in the summer. However, we have checked this, and it is our information that that is not the case, and certainly not the case in the Harry Kane story, one that we have brought you uh, exclusively on the podcast. And Kane is very much desired by Manchester United. They, of course, uh, will be somewhat uh, frightened of Daniel Levy's £170 million asking price for his captain. Uh, and that is unrealistic in the current financial environment anyway. But it is the, our information that Kane is much, very much still on United's radar. They believe that if they don't move for him this summer, they may lose him to another club because Kane himself uh, is at a crossroads in his career where he feels he probably needs to leave Spurs if he's going to win the biggest trophies in the game. Um, this is a, it's a, always a difficult one, Duncan. We've seen this time and again. And actually, it's history repeating itself because negotiations and transfers between Spurs selling and Manchester United buying have been or have tended to be protracted affairs and also very expensive ones on United's uh, half as well. Uh, Kane could yet be the most expensive of all. Of all. Um, is it wise of United? to go for it this summer um, or should they wait a year till Cavani's contract's out because they're not exactly overweighted um, on strikers at this moment in time and clearly Anthony Martial is not someone who Ole Gunnar Solskjaer trusts. I think they're looking to upgrade. Um, I, you know That has been the consistent message from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer throughout his period as manager of Manchester United that he wants better players in. Um, he wants to improve in all positions. 
And uh, if they can bring a Harry Kane or an Erling Haaland, another player that, that Solskjaer would very much like to sign at Old Trafford in, in place of, for example, Anthony Martial, keep Cavani there, um, who's on a, on a great run uh, of eight goals in seven matches. They've got him to sign that contract extension that you uh, flagged up, I think, a week ago, that there would be... Um, an extension on the same basic terms but with additional uh, improved bonuses uh, for the second year of the contract and that um, initial deal was was a substantial one with um, in the region of 8 million euros season net with a big uh, signing on bonuses bonus when he arrived uh, plus um, bonuses for performance but if they, if they can move Martial out and bring Harry Kane in and combine him with Cavani, um, Rashford, Mason Greenwood, who's having a very good end to the season, um, then retain, and this isn't a question, Bruno Fernandes uh, as a creative force. And if in Solskjaer's uh, best scenario gets to keep Pogba as well, then they make what is already a very effective attack, particularly in, in counter-attacking circumstances, stronger still. And Harry Kane, there is no question, would markedly improve upon Anthony Martial. He'd give them a broader range of ways of scoring goals, a broader range of, of attacking styles, uh, and improve the team in terms of... <laughs> The, the problem hasn't been defeats for Manchester United in this Premier League season. It's been draws, uh, in particular, a lot of goalless draws. And there's a certain way of playing against Manchester United that Solskjaer's team struggle with. If you improve your attacking options again, it gives you another dimension in the way you can attack. If on top of that, you can improve the defence, um, so it's not so dependent and playing in a low block and not so susceptible to pace, then you take um, the team up another level again. I talked to a, a leading sports director a few months ago uh, assessing Manchester United squad and he, he said the current squad isn't far off being properly competitive in European football. Um, the centre-backs are the big weaknesses. So change that, which is something Solskjaer would like to do and, and is asked to do. Um, add in the attack, um, perhaps add a backup right back uh, to Aaron Wan-Bissaka, someone who can pressure Wan-Bissaka in the way that they got Alec Tellez in to pressure Luke Shaw. Um, add a central midfielder, which is another area that um, they're looking at in this summer window. Um, and do all of it in the context, as we keep saying, of a pandemic summer where most of the clubs in European football are struggling badly for finance. There's only really Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City, the two nation-state clubs who can spend freely. United are in a relatively good position, but I would caveat that with, um, let's see what happens with the Glazers out protests and the the, the no not a penny more campaign because um, that has had a um, very immediate impact on a new commercial deal for Manchester United in the last week and that they've lost um, a negotiation that was for a 10-year £200 million training kit 
deal with the, the Manchester-based hut group. They've withdrawn from those negotiations. If that kind of thing keeps happening, then that little advantage that Manchester United have over um, other non-nation state clubs could disappear. But, you know, it makes sense for them to be calculating on the basis of we can take advantage of this transfer market. Let's upgrade in, in certain positions. Someone like Harry Kane is unhappy with where he is at Tottenham. He may be available this summer. Let's get him and stop someone else from getting him. Um, or go for Erling Haaland, who is definitely available this summer. Uh, and again, get him into our squad rather than allow him to join one of the, the major competitors. And then gradually you move closer to what Manchester United should be competing for, which is the Champions League and the Premier League, rather than um, being excited about finishing second and uh, and getting to Europa League final after being knocked out at the Champions League in the group stages. It is intriguing, Duncan, um, in the sense that when Solskjaer uh, played for Manchester United, Sir Alex Ferguson, or just plain Alec Ferguson as he was then, um, was almost religiously committed to a 4-4-2. Now, uh, this notion that Cavani re-signing uh, and Gary Neville uh, mentioned this on Monday Night Football on Sky Sports, um, that, uh, oh, I think they'll prioritise Jadon Sancho now because Cavani's the real deal, et cetera, et cetera. I just don't see that. I mean, look at the way that Kane and, and um, Sun Ming uh, have combined this season uh, to not just score goals, both of them, but assists as well. I mean, the, the figures are staggering. Um, they are the best pairing in the Premier League by far. And to the idea that Cavani and Kane playing up front as a two uh, and one assisting the other and vice versa seems to me to be perfectly logical rather than, as some people have said, well, why would they want to bring in a striker when Cavani signed? But Cavani's 34 years old. Uh, he's signed a one-year deal. He's not the long-term uh, solution to United's striking problems and I think we all know that Mason Greenwood and Marcus Rashford despite their contribution in terms of goal scoring are more suited to playing from wide areas coming inside so a point striker or even two um, is even more attractive and of course the United way uh, as indeed is the title of a new documentary um, narrated by Eric Cantona uh, is certainly to have two strikers and to score more goals um, obviously preventing goals is also a problem as you pointed out with the defence Well Kane has so far this Premier League season 21 goals and 13 assists he's been credited with which is unprecedented numbers um, he has changed the way he's playing been playing this season. That was one of, I think, one of the biggest successes Jose Mourinho had in charge of Tottenham was to bring Kane further back um, towards the midfield, have him operating uh, from midfield positions to create for his teammate and then drift into areas where he scores goals. And, and it worked very effectively. And you can, you have that option now with Kane if, if you bring him in. You can play him in that kind of almost a number 10. Um, role that he's developed with Tottenham. Um, if they lose Paul Pogba um, in the summer, then you could use Kane in alongside Bruno Fernandes um, in that system that 
United are playing at present. I, I hear people talking about um, Paul Pogba playing left wing at present. If you look at where he's touching the ball, he's basically playing behind the strikers. Solskjaer's come up with a system where he has both Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba playing very central, um, playing behind at present one forward um, with Rashford and, and Greenwood um, also coming in off the wings into central positions. There's a lot of bodies in the middle. Um, Fred and McTominay guarding the, the defence behind them in what Solskjaer himself likes to describe as a back six. And then Luke Shaw, essentially the only player who's spending a lot of time with the ball on the left wing. And, and again, Aaron Wan-Bissaka doing most of his work um, on the right wing and quite high up the field. So the, the system's quite a, a, a tailored, unusual one to start with. Um, you can fit Kane into it either at, at the number nine position, which you could see him if you were able to do this. We've got to say this is a big if because it's, it's an expensive, hard deal to do. And I think we're talking here about something that Solskjaer would like. Um, what the new recruitment team um, with Darren Fletcher, um, important in that, would like. What the Glazers are encouraging and thinking about, because as we said, they need to um, throw a bone to the fans, appease the fans. Um, and what better way to do it than to do a very expensive signing. But can you actually make it happen at, at the end of the process? If you can, it improves uh, what is already a, a good squad. Um, Mason Greenwood, if you look at the way Solskjaer talks about Greenwood, he's pretty clear that he thinks he has to spend more time in that uh, right wing starting position striker role. So coming off the right wing rather than being the point striker. He's used him there in a couple of games this season as a number nine that's been ineffective. He's talked about how he's not ready to play there by himself or play or be in the starting position there, which which is interesting because we had this massive long debate about Marcus Rashford and how he should be number nine and how he wanted to be number nine and that um, Mourinho was damaging his career by using him off the wing. And then when, um, when Solskjaer comes in, Rashford says, actually, I prefer playing off the left wing and, and, and I'm more effective there. And, and he has been had the most effective season of his career playing off that position. He seems to have come to the conclusion that it's easier to score goals off the wing and we don't have this argument that, oh, we have to make room for Marcus Rashford to be number nine. Um, let's sell Romelu Lukaku to to allow that to happen, which is where Manchester United were a couple of seasons ago. Lukaku's gone away, scored a huge amount of goals in Italy um, and they're still looking for the big name number nine to come in and they're now in a position where they're thinking actually Anthony Martial could be the one to sacrifice to uh, to get money to to fund this. Well, there are, as coaches say, Duncan, there are spaces in tight spaces and some players need spaces. And I think Greenwood and Rashford um, are at the stage in their career where they do need the space uh, on the, the side of the pitch to collect the ball and run forward and make themselves goal opportunities or assist opportunities. Um, whereas specialised number nine strikers can play in the tight spaces, um, which we've seen with Cavani at Manchester United. Uh, he can always uh, find a little bit of room for himself. He's instinctive about it. 
and that's how he scores his goals. Uh, there's never more than two touches. So it's either a header or a, a, a one-touch goal. So whereas with Rashford and Greenwood, what we've seen is that they prefer to uh, take the ball in possession uh, and run maybe 10, 20 metres, uh, taking several touches before releasing a shot or trying to make an assist. I think Greenwood can score off one touch and he, he is the, the real strength of his game is the quality of his striking off both feet. Um, it's been said many times, the speed at which he strikes the ball catches goalkeepers out. I don't think it's an issue with taking shots quickly. I think it's more of finding the right positions to be in, getting himself into the position where he has the chance to make that shot. He hasn't learned that element yet. And look, if he's going to learn it, and there's no reason why he shouldn't learn it, he has a great manager to work under. Um, that is something that Solskjaer, there's no question about his abilities. He's a guy who talks about not being a coach and saying, I, I prefer to delegate the coaching side of management to other people who are better at it than me, who are more specialised than me. But when it comes to instructing and guiding strikers, on how to score goals, where to be in the box. He has that knowledge because he developed it himself and he worked so hard in his game and he's, and he's good at communicating it. So I think you've got to take his judgment on where Mason Greenwood is and at this stage of the career as a, a very well-informed and intelligent one. And, and, and he's a player who's managed well. He got him into the first team. He got a good uh, return from the first season. Now in the second season where he's had a, you know, difficult period off the field where he, he started to receive a bit of criticism for not um, not performing on the field. He's got into the latter part of the season and he's now one of their more effective strikers again. So he's handled Greenwood very well um, as Manchester United manager. Not such good news for Manchester United, perhaps, Duncan, is um, the fact uh, that we have uh, learned and we can report now exclusively that Erling Haaland, uh, probably the most sought-after striker in European football right now, um, along with Kylian Mbappe, that Barcelona have made um, an initial bid that we understand to be €105 million. Euros. Um, I suspect it's not a bid that they believe will be accepted by Borussia Dortmund, given the valuation of the player is probably upwards of 150 million. However, um, as all negotiations do, they start with a whisper rather than with a shout. And so Haaland uh, is a player who uh, our friend Graham Hunter from La Liga TV uh, told us uh, that uh, the, the re-elected president, Joan Laporta, is obsessed by and wants to bring him to the club. And in having that opinion, he has effectively made the opening shot, if you like, to Borussia Dortmund with regards to trying to fund a deal. Um, do we suspect that Haaland would prefer La Liga uh, to the Premier League and also that maybe the Premier League it will be outpriced for once uh, in the pursuit of a player who is so coveted by so many? It, it, as you say, it's an opening shot from a guy who has identified him as someone he wants to bring in as his star signing to build a new Barcelona 
side around. Um, he has the, the urgency there. Um, he's in the position to spend money as he's the president of the club. Uh, compare that with Real Madrid. Real Madrid are interested in Haaland, but he's very much second choice to Kylian Mbappe. Um, my information from, from inside Madrid is that they will not pay more than 75 million euros for Haaland. That's their position because they know the release clause is 75 million euros in a year's time. They're not going to go over that. If Dortmund are ready to sell this summer, then they say they'll sell for that price. So here you go, Haaland. If you can get yourself out for 75, we'll take you and you choose whether you want to, to come here, assuming we can't do Mbappe. Um, their expectation was, uh, again, information from inside Madrid, that nobody apart from Manchester City had the money to get to Dortmund's asking price or get near it. So Dortmund's asking price 180 million euros. Raiola's pitching at 150 million euros. Madrid think only Manchester City can afford to do that. Um, they've obviously now seen Barcelona go above the 75 million that they were expecting to be the limit on it. Um, I think you can go and look at an interview that uh, Raiola gave to Marca uh, recently uh, and look at how he talks about the, this transaction and the clubs that are uh, available and he, and, he, and he leaves it very open. He's saying my job is to talk to the clubs, find out what they want to do, see what packages are prepared um, to, uh, to place in front of us and, and us is an important factor here because it's, there's a big commission to Raiola and there's a big commission to um, Erling Haaland's father to be paid here uh, and then guide Erling on, on where to go. Um, he also is underlining that, that, uh, that competition amongst the clubs is important. He, he's asked in this interview whether Madrid can afford to, to buy Haaland at the price that um, Dortmund are, are placing on him. And uh, Raiola says, the question is another, can, can Madrid afford not to buy Haaland and Barca? Can they afford not to buy Haaland? A train passes and what do you do? You take it or you don't take it? And that's the big question. Um, so he, he's saying, look, I'm offering you a generational talent. He's going to go to one of the big clubs in Europe. Um, you can have him potentially for 10 years. This is your opportunity to take him. He may look expensive, but that's the price. Uh, can you afford to miss out? Because there might not be another Erling Haaland coming along. That's, that's the marketing pitch. Um, and I think this transaction plays around money. It plays around how many clubs can get to a figure that Dortmund are prepared to accept this summer um, and are prepared to pay the 30 million net salary that Raul is looking for for the player and prepared to pay the huge commissions that he's looking for as well. And then a decision will be made. I don't think the player's preference about liking England or, or liking Spain more is, is really that relevant at this point. Um, and I think it's also interesting that Raul has been indicating that, um, that if Dortmund don't sell him this summer, he will push for the player to move to Bayern next summer on the release clause. So the threat is you only get 75 million in a year's time. You already know that. But on top of only getting 75 million in a year's time, I'll send them to your direct competitors. Lovely man, you know, 
we, we've always said that on the podcast. Um, if you go back uh, to the beginning of last month, you'll remember that uh, we brought the, you the um, information that um, Raul had struck a deal with Borussia Dortmund that uh, it would be a staging post for Haaland because of the relatively small fee they paid for him uh, on the basis that they would receive uh, certainly twice or more uh, the money that they paid for him when he moved to there. And also, of course, as Duncan has said, um, and we reported, there's a 40 million euro commission fee, which will be split 50-50 with uh, Erling's father, Alfinger. So you've got to factor that in when it comes to buying the player. So the whole package with regards to what it's going to cost any club who decides to buy Haaland will be transfer fee plus wages plus the commission. So it is a major, major investment. But thing is, Duncan, he's what he is basically, uh, he's outscoring even Kylian Mbappe this season and appears to be the real deal, even at such a young age. 37 and 38 goals uh, for Dortmund so far this season. <laughs> You'd love to say you can't buy that, but actually you can. <laughs> if, you know, if you've got Mino's phone number. You, you can, um, I, but and we, I bring this up every time we, uh, we talk about this Haaland transfer, that he is a very individualistic player. He, he plays a selfish game. Um, he does not contribute a huge amount to the team. There are people at Dortmund who think that they were better off before they signed him than they are with him in the team. Dortmund are struggling to get Champions League football. They are currently in fourth place in the Bundesliga, but they're only there by a point. Um, does he fit your system and, and does he fit Barcelona's system is, is an intriguing one. I can see how he fits Manchester United's system, um, given that he would be that strong, hard-running pointman who, who finishes off. And if you put the ball in front of him uh, on the counter-attack, he will score a lot of goals, no doubt about it. But integrating him into Barcelona's system, it's going to be fascinating to watch if Laporta does manage to do that, um, whether it works for them or not. It's um, uncanny how similar Haaland is to Harry Kane, um, albeit Harry Kane is much more of a team player uh, and will, as you said, as Jose Mourinho asked him to do, drop back and pass the ball because his passing range is actually excellent for someone who's more used to being in the box and striking the ball. So um, with Haaland and Barcelona, who have been playing effectively, with a false nine for almost, I don't know, five years. Um, uh, or Luis Suarez, I suppose, was not a false nine, but he's not exactly a point striker either uh, before he left for Atletico Madrid. But still, it's um, it would be um, a kind of strange uh, one for Barca when you consider their history of amazing strikers. Uh, the original Ronaldo uh, was obviously someone who played as a point striker, uh, even though he only spent um, a short time at Barcelona, uh, but fitted into that system. Uh, Romario as well. So yeah, it's it would be intriguing to see how Haaland uh, would fit into Barcelona's system. Um, but 
for Manchester United, as we've already spoken about on this pod, Harry Kane is kind of the, the finished version of, er- of Erling Haaland. Um, and also he has more to his game with regards to uh, the all-round contribution to the team. So, um, And probably will be cheaper overall in terms of, as I said, the cost of the transfer fee, the wages and the commission uh, that's being demanded by Mino Raiola and uh, his father, Alf Inga. He definitely won't be asking for €30 million Euros net this season. <laughs> no, indeed, he won't be. No. Well, it's interesting, Duncan, actually, because Harry Kane currently earns around £130,000 per week, which for a player who is the captain of Tottenham Hotspur um, and has the goal record he's, that he has achieved, in the last four or five years, uh, is really quite cheap um, when you consider. Uh, you've got players on £300,000 a week elsewhere in the Premier League who are not as effective um, or as influential as Kane is. Yeah, the, the simple history of, of Daniel Levy uh, managing that situation very well and, uh, and knowing that Kane liked being in London, was happy at the club and, and being able to incrementally pay him more money than he had been earning originally and, and, uh, and satisfying him. So he's managed to keep the cost of that, of that captain striker down um, by, by playing, playing the man, effectively. True. Uh, and some players make that decision for themselves and decide that, you know, if they're happy, then they're happy. Um, however, I do think, uh, and that, we have been informed by people close to Harry Kane that he's now at the point in his career where uh, trophies mean much more than money, even though obviously he will still be very well well paid wherever he goes, but he wants to move to a club where he believes there is a forward motion and a realistic chance of winning both the Premier League and Champions League because he does not want to spend his career or end his career uh, without having achieved certain goals uh, and not the ones that he puts in the back of the net, which he does on a very regular basis. Which is where the concern must come in for Manchester United if Manchester City decide to that Harry Kane is a live option and they decide to go for him. See, you say that, but Kane's not like, he's not a Guardiola type player though, is he? Just so we're saying like Barcelona and Haaland. I, I disagree. I think the way Kane is now playing um, and has been playing this season makes him a better suit to Manchester City. Is that the, the, than to Manchester United? Than, than he was before. Oh, I uh, see. Sorry, okay. Yeah. He can, he, he's now a more rounded um, player who's conscious of the team um, dynamic, conscious of being in the right positions in the field. That that's how Guardiola sets his team up, and very capable of scoring those goals when the when the shots are presented to him in the box. So if it comes down to a choice between the two clubs, and if it is ability to win trophies that is the 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 cardinal decision maker for Kane, then Manchester United need to be worried if Manchester City do come in because that would seem an obvious choice for the player of, of which of the two to go to. True, but I look at Sergio Aguero and obviously City's all-time record goal scorer. Um, he is not very similar to Kane. 
Gabriel Jesus, who has been playing very well this season, is nothing like Harry Kane in terms of style. Um, and Guardiola does not have a history of having a number nine who is a target man and who holds play up. Um, rather, he would like a speedy striker who goes in behind the defence or in the channels and uh, mops up what comes from players like Bernardo Silva and Ryan Sterling in terms of uh, passes from either uh, flank or indeed round the corner into the box. Now, Kane is a very skillful player. There's no doubt about that. I think his um, ability on the ball is underrated. Uh, although this year, with the passes that he has provided to Son uh, in terms of assists for goals, I think he has shown himself to be uh, a much more uh, skilled footballer than people give him credit for. But the point is that, uh, I suppose, with uh, Guardiola, um, yeah, I just, I'm just not sure. I'm just, I'm not sure that uh, Guardiola would be, that Kane would be his first choice, I suppose, put it that way. Although, City have been very quiet um, so far uh, on who they might replace uh, Aguero with. Uh, but they must have a plan because they announced Aguero was leaving. So uh, Erling, Erling Haaland is on the list. They have other players on the list as, as alternatives. Right. Um, Guardiola, how does he refer? To, how did he refer to Tottenham uh, a couple of years ago? The Harry Kane team. The Harry Kane <laughs> team. I think. I think you get a sense of the the admiration he has oh. for the player there, and he doesn't actually want another Aguero or Gabriel Jesus. He hasn't played either of them consistently at all this season. No, he's, he's been, been playing been false things with been using, Kevin De Bruyne and, <laughs> and using holding midfielders as as number nines, and uh, and even Raheem Sterling has has yeah, found himself has on the, played a lot as well, hasn't he? He's on the fringes, the fringes yeah. of the team at present. So, um, Erling Haaland isn't an obvious Guardiola player for sure. We've talked about that, and I think Manchester City are very aware that um, they're. They have to be careful with this. They're looking at it because of the numbers. They're looking at it because of the age. It fits better their recruitment in the sense of liking buying younger um, players when they do spend big money who they can keep through two contracts. But what I'm hearing from Manchester City is that, that it's, it's, not, it's not a simple case of Erling Haaland is the best striker in the market. He's an obvious fit to our team. We go out and do it regardless. That's certainly not the case. There's a calculation being made. How much is this going to cost? Is there a better alternative in the market? Um, final decision not made yet. As always, you heard the news here before it becomes news. Elsewhere in Europe, uh, another serious uh, and um, globally recognised superstar player, signed an extension, which we did actually flag up to you on the Transfer Window podcast uh, three weeks ago, and that is, of course, Neymar, um, and the probability that, in fact, rather than return to Barcelona, he would stay in Paris, um, partly on the basis that there were not many takers uh, for the player um, in this particular both financial environment as well as uh, what we're looking at over the next couple of years. Um, 
that's not been necessarily, um, Duncan. Uh, I mean, it's good news, I suppose, for PSG, but at the same time, um, they are not uh, fulfilling their their usual, um, let's just say, uh, obligation of winning League A uh, a canter. Uh, last weekend results left Lille three points in front with only two matches left to play. And how does that how does that work? I mean, how can PSG not win the title? It's, it almost seems like a, an aberration. Well, here's a statistic for you. Neymar, who they've just made the highest paid player in the history of the club, sustained his position as the highest paid player in the history of the club, giving him a new contract to 2025, who wanted and was exploring the possibility to leave, as we reported, um, he put contract talks on hold after they'd had the, basically had the outline of the contract sorted to see if he could get his friend Lionel Messi to get him back to Barcelona after Laporta's election win. Um, that fell apart with the Super League falling apart. So that big a bucket of money that was coming Barcelona's way um, and which they were going to use to, to buy Haaland and uh, invest elsewhere in the market disappeared and Neymar was left with Paris Saint-Germain and, and basically no other option. How many goals do you think Neymar has scored in that legal campaign for um, PSG this season? I hate it when you do this to me because, you know, I'm not a stats man, so I, I don't pay attention, but I'm going to guess, obviously. Nine. Eight goals in 16 games. Oh, it was close. It was close. <laughs> Which puts him the joint 25th leading scorer in the French top tier this season. And he's just got the richest That's contract funny. in the history of the division. That's um, funny because I'm, tw- I'm 24th. <laughs> I, I, look, he scored well in the Champions League, six and eight Champions League games, joint third score in the Champions League. But Alvaro Morata and Olivier Giroud also have six goals in the Champions League this season. Look at Leo, um, where our uh, our friend Luis Campos, who who came on the podcast a few months ago, built a squad um, that finished second in uh, in the French Championship a couple of seasons ago, and are now in position to win the league against uh, you know, the most expensively assembled squad in the history of French football. They have Burak Yilmaz scoring 15 goals in 25 games for them, who was signed for the princely sum of 1 million euros in the summer as they scrambled to, to find a, a forward to replace their outgoing um, sale to, um, to Napoli at 80 million euros. That's, I think that's the difference. That's the, if you recruit well um, and you're going up against a team where you have Neymar in this position of privilege that he's allowed to disappear off and avoid certain games and has fights with coaches and sees off coaches mid-season, um, there is a little chink. Goes with Brazil for his sister's birthday every year. Yeah. There's a little chink there where you can where you can take advantage of it, and and PSG will see this as a great victory to retain Neymar. There there is an element there of Qatar not wanting to lose the record signing, um, 
not wanting to see the guy walk away who they spent so much and, and went to such lengths to to sign him. So it's it's almost pride beyond the the footballing sense of it. Obviously you want to have Neymar in your team. Obviously he's he's one of the most talented players on the planet, but is he worth that much to them? Um could they not have spent that money el- better elsewhere? The, the current squad, and we've talked about this with Mbappe and, and Mbappe's consideration of does he sign a new deal at, at PSG? He wants to know that they're going to build a squad around him and Neymar now that is capable of winning the Champions League and, and, and serious competitors for it. And you look around the rest of their squad, it's imbalanced. There are, there are obvious weaknesses through various areas of the team which they need to resolve. They should be able to do that now. They're now, you know, Alexander Cheferin's favourite club in, in European football after they, they helped scupper the, the Super League plan. Financial fair play is effectively on its way out. It's them in Manchester City who can spend proper money to, to reinforce. But... Um, there, there are strange elements when the when the money being paid to players does not match the performance on the field and actual substantial return, which is goals in the back of the opposition net and French league title, which, as you say, Paris Saint Germain should be walking away with it every season, given the financial advantages they have. They shouldn't. They should not be in a position where they're waiting for Leo to drop points in the last two games to try and sneak over the line in the final weeks. Obviously, it's also the case, Duncan, as I think we spoke about last week, um, Qatar are very conscious of the fact that the World Cup uh, finals term is approaching in December 2022, and they want to be seen to be in a position where they have contributed to football in a more wider sense. So retaining Neymar and obviously Neymar appearing in the World Cup finals for Brazil is something that they obviously would like to uh, effectively, well, not take credit for, but certainly be associated with. Yeah, they want, it's a bigger game than just French domestic football than, than, than Champions League football. It's the, the World Cup is, is one of the central parts of their sporting ambitions, their sports washing ambitions as, as certain people would describe it um, and having Neymar on their books and, and they would hope having Kylian Mbappe on their books during that period is important to them um, uh, they, there is also the possibility they add Mohamed Salah to that cast um, certainly uh, my understanding is that Salah's agent has been working very hard with Paris Saint-Germain to place him in a position that should they lose Mbappe for example in this window that Salah will be first choice to replace him and, and, and come into the squad and be the most prominent Arab footballer in the world as part of the Qatar's table at, at Paris Saint-Germain going into World Cup year. Going back to the Premier League, we also have news for you about, um, I think, a player who has surprised um, a lot of people uh, since his move to Brighton of Albion in, uh, two years ago. Uh, didn't necessarily do uh, himself uh, a lot of favours in his first season. Um, 
However, had this season, Yves Basuma has become uh, one of the top uh, performers with regards to central defensive midfield and has attracted the interest of several clubs, including three of the top four uh, in uh, this country uh, with regards to a transfer this summer. The 24-year-old Mali international uh, is someone who has rated himself um, in his performances as third uh, most um, tackles attempted in the Premier League until this moment in time, as well as in the top five of uh, tackles won, as well as the fact that he has been overall a very, very effective performer for a club who obviously until last weekend was fighting relegation. Um, Basuma himself, as Duncan revealed, um, is keen to play European football. And Duncan has um, further information on that with regards to who might be the contenders to sign him. Yeah, you say surprised. Um, I, I did a little best buys of the summer of 2018 piece for the Daily Record um, at the end of that window. And, and I'm, I'm glad to say I had Basuma in that uh, group alongside Kagler Soyuncu. So I think, I think Brighton did well to secure him. Um, it wasn't a cheap deal. I, uh, from what I'm told that from my sources at Lille, the fee was one where it could reach 80 million euros if all the um, bonuses were triggered. Um, they haven't uh, managed to extend his contract. So he has two years left in the contract. So it's kind of a period where they have to make a decision. Um, overselling this summer and at what price they're going to sell. Um, my information is that both Liverpool and Arsenal have been in direct contact um, to explore the possibility of a transfer. Manchester City have contacted the players' representatives and outside England, Marseille also hold a, a strong interest. Um, I think with Brighton, they are they're pretty pragmatic about these things. They have a valuation on a player. Um, they know that if the player has reached a, a level where Champions League clubs are serious about buying him, um, that it's difficult to, to hold on to that kind of player um, should they offer a sufficient transfer fee. And uh, my understanding is that if one of those clubs get to £30 million in a pandemic-affected market, that should be enough for Brighton to say, yes, okay, we accept that you've served us well and uh, and we'll allow you to go elsewhere. And, and Brighton are preparing their their summer transfer strategy in the expectation that, they, that Basuma will be sold. Interestingly, I believe they're also preparing um, the, for the possibility that Ben White might be sold to another Premier League club because there's sufficient interest in his services that they feel a large bid and it would be larger than 30 million could come in and uh, and they would have to allow White to leave too. It's getting increasingly difficult, obviously, to um, repair the damage that the pandemic has done to football's finances and uh, transfer revenue for clubs like Brighton, uh, especially if you're looking at the prices that you've mentioned, Duncan, um, could largely uh, consolidate finances 
um, with regards to what money's been lost through match day revenue, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm not so sure that in Brighton's case, it's a necessity to sell, but I think there has to be a sense of pragmatism, both what the players want themselves, as well as, you know, realising the valuation of the talent. And um, Brighton's a very well-run club. Uh, they do um, things properly with their finances as, as best they can. They don't overspend. The budget is relevant to where their position is in the Premier League, which, of course, they um, have been confirmed their status after Fulham's relegation uh, on Monday night um, after defeat against Burnley. So, um, once again, uh, you can budget on the basis of receiving the broadcast uh, money for the Premier League for the next season, as well as uh, in the hope that crowd attendance and match day revenue will all um, increase uh, going forward as well. So, yeah, I think you're right in saying that, you know, the likes of Basuma and White, who are not, I think, irreplaceable at Brighton, I think they've both had great seasons, but um, I've watched Brighton a lot this season and uh, at centre-back, they're very well stocked. Uh, maybe in defensive midfield, they might want to augment it, but uh, they do have um, Stephen Alzati, who is a very promising young player uh, who can play CDM. And uh, Caicedo, who came in obviously from uh, in January, uh, who also can play that position as well. Uh, so I think, generally speaking, they're kind of well sourced losing those players, despite the fact of their quality. At the same time, maybe they want to improve their squad if they do lose those players, given the money that will be coming in. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the summer window, their recruitment policy. And of course, there was news today that Neil Mopé has been charged with foul and abusive language to the match officials after the defeat at Wolves um, and looks like facing uh, a th at least a three-match suspension, uh, which is uh, a bit of a blow, but also Lewis Dunk, who was sent off, uh, will get a one-game ban uh, for his red card in the same match. We move on uh, because this is the first podcast of the week. It is hero and villain time, and I will turn uh, my attention to Duncan, who is going to provide us with his hero. Um, hero of the week is the the boy on the bicycle who's turned into the <laughs> middle aged man on the bicycle, and he's and he's still there. Aryan Robin, who was photographed cycling back from uh, setting up two goals for his his hometown club, Hrunigan, um in their four 0 win at the weekend. Um, I. I've spent some time in Rinnegan and I did actually spend quite a lot of time bicycling around the place, not not uh, back from football With matches. Robin, obviously. Well, first time I went there was to interview his father, um, and not in uh, in a little town uh, called Bedum, um, which is just outside Rinnegan, where uh, where Aryan grew up. Um, went there in November 2004 after he'd uh, broken in and started to excel for, for Chelsea and spent a few hours in, I think it was the Ingang Cafe, um, chatting to uh, 
to Hans and, and I was actually looking at the text of the interview and, and some of the reporting on uh, on Robin being photographed coming back from that game at the weekend and, and realised the quote that people were using um, about him cycling to, to games when he was a kid was from the interview I, I, I had with Hans for the Daily Mail at the time. So they were asking about cycling to games and he said, yes, in this town it's normal that you go to school and bike 13 kilometres there, 13 back, and you do it, no question. And then he said, when he was playing in the first team, he also went by bike. He said to me, dad, can you bring me? I said, no, I can't. Um, and then said that having moved to Chelsea, he was he was going to carry on cycling to Cobham because it wasn't far away from south. Did you say on your bike? (laughs) The Dutch equivalent of it it is he finished off by by saying stay normal. That's my that's always been my advice to Aryan and uh, and it looks like he has followed it to the letter um, coming out of retirement last year to play for his home town club again and uh, and still cycling back and forward to games despite what he's won 12 league titles in four different countries, um, Champions League, multiple other trophies, uh, multiple scored players a win- of the scored year. Scored a winner in the Champions League final at Wembley. Yeah, he's for, had, for Bayern Munich. He's had quite a career. He, he's, he can certainly afford not to cycle to school and uh, not have his dad give him a lift any longer. So it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle choice. Well, I can I can um, sort of level you up on that one, Duncan, in, in terms of uh, cycling uh, anecdotes. Because I interviewed Wayne Rooney, who told me that the um, day the day that he scored that um, kind of uh, exceptional goal against Arsenal and announced his uh, his uh, I guess introduction to football superstardom uh, when he was playing at Everton. He cycled home from Goodison Park, and then um, cycled to the cinema to meet his his then girlfriend Colleen, uh, where they went to see a film. So um, he and Arjen and Robin have something in common other than their receding hairlines. Did he uh, ci- did he cycle past the squirrel sanctuary on the way to the cinema? <laughs> You'll have to ask him that. I'm going to refer you to Wayne for that. Um, certainly though um, it it is a great story that he's gone back to his his hometown club and I commend uh, Mr Castles for his pronunciation of Groningen rather than Groningen which is the way that most people say that uh, in this country Um, that's because here at the Transfer Window Podcast we are completely authentic in everything we do and say. Uh, my villain is obviously is uh, completely authentic, and um, it is. And it's weird because he actually won uh, the hero of, of the uh, the week uh, only recently. But super size Sam Allardyce has to be the villain of the week because. Um, this is a man who has never been relegated from the Premier League um, and on relegation from the Premier League uh, as manager of West Brom. Uh, he said, well, it's, it was inevitable, wasn't it? And I think as a, a manager, you've got to say to yourself, well, 
that was your job to make it not inevitable. It was to make it actually realistic not to be relegated. So to point the finger at some invisible person elsewhere uh, who made it inevitable is not very good, Big Sam. So you need to fire up that Granada and uh, find yourself some redemption um, somewhere else uh, in, if you don't want to stay on as manager at the Hawthorns. This has been the first podcast of the week on the transfer window. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Get in contact on social media platforms, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Transfer Podcast. Duncan's at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. Until later in the week when we will be with you again, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Hey.